G'day. Welcome back to another episode of the GST Junkies. I'm Stretch and uh, this is Erdie. And uh, Erdie's back in the UK now. So how's, uh, how's good old London treating you, mate? G'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, loving being back in London. It's, uh, it's great, you know, full of stress, full of cars, full of um, really narrow roads. It's actually quite funny coming back to London the first day and you're driving around and compared to Australia. Uh, you're like, what's going on? Why, why are the roads so small? And why are all the cars so small? And it, it just felt like you on this like really busy motorway. Everyone was trying to like cross over each other the whole way. There's like no rules, no regulations. And uh, whereas I never, I couldn't remember London being like that because um, we've been at, we've been away for so long. So yeah, it's been quite interesting and super super stressful. But then you kind of acclimatize to it all, and everything gets normal again. <laughs> normal, mate. Back slipping back into the groove there. There we go. Yeah. How long? Yeah. How long were you in Australia for? Totally, total up. I think we were there for five months. It was yeah, yeah it was around five months. We were, we were planning to stay a little bit longer, but we cut it just a tiny bit short. But uh, yeah, no, we, it was a great trip. We're hoping to come back later this year. Yeah, keep you posted oh, on that. Hopefully, let, let let you back in, mate. Hopefully, <laughs> I didn't cause too much trouble. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's it. All right, mate, let's get stuck in. Today, we're going to talk all about pike flexibility. We've had some podcasts where we've talked about strength and free gains and, you know, a bit of our method behind training, but it was time to focus on maybe a flexibility one and we, and we sort of chose, chose the pike. Um, do you want to kick off and maybe define the pike or would you like me to talk about that? Well, the pike. Yeah, so the pike's actually one of my, it was one of my strongest uh, flexibility movements. I think it's just because it's one that I started from an early age, but we'll get into that. So the pike fold or forward fold, pike stretch, so you want to say it. It's basically just a forward fold position. So imagine when you just fold forward, try to touch your toes, like that is essentially the pike position. But then in gymnastics, we want it a little bit neater than that. So, you know, we want to make sure the legs are straight. You want to make sure you've got a decent hip crease. I think people say like up to about 140 degrees or so is a is a nice position of hip crease or hip compression. Um, in your actual gymnastics movements, you'll probably be pointing the toes. But uh, in um, when you're standing, obviously you got some dorsiflexion there. Uh, and then, so that's like the the lower body part. But then the torso actually wants to be relaxed down and like elongated towards the floor as well. So obviously, the deep, the more flexible you are, the deeper you can get, and the closer you can get your head towards your feet, and hopefully, like in that groove between the shins. And um, but ideally you want like the upper back to be quite loose as well. So the, the back just sort of hangs down and it doesn't like create this big hump um, that comes off of the, off the legs. If you look at it from a side profile, but then also if you've got like a really huge guy who just has a lot of muscle mass, so that's almost unavoidable in some cases. So yeah, depend on the anatomy, but generally speaking, the pike stretch is just when you fold down, touch the floor. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, like you sort of said, there's different degrees of that closing angle of the maybe between the thighs and the torso. Um, and the more flexible you are, as long as you don't have a big belly or you're not a big dude, maybe, then, then the more chance you've got of closing closing that angle. Um, and obviously, we can do it in the standing sort of position, as you're mentioning, um, and having gravity assist us, which we'll talk about further in this podcast. Or we can obviously do it in a seated position as well, um, where we're folding forward. And this translates to a lot of our gymnastics movements. We could talk press handstand. We could talk skin the cat on the gymnastics rings. Like there's so many things that, you know, 
our pipe flexibility sort of contribute towards. I think, you know, back in high school, we often do the seated hamstring test. Did you do that in the UK where you're in your PE class where you're sitting down and seeing if, how far past your toes you can reach? I don't remember doing the test, but I remember it being like a generic warm-up. So yeah. it might have been a test. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And then like, oh, I'll reach five centimeters past my toes. But I mean, yeah. a lot of adult, adults these days, I think they struggle to reach their toes. Have you found that with a lot of your clients or the clients that come to you have that level of flexibility already? Yeah, you get, you get like a super mixed variety of clients. You get some where they struggle to sort of, you know, get halfway down the shins. And then you get others who are you know, just palms flat, um, but with like slightly bent knees. Yeah, it's a, a, they get a quite a mixed array of adults. Um, but generally speaking, if they don't have a background in gymnastics or dance or martial arts, they do struggle. Most people struggle to touch the floor. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly, mate. I mean, back back in my day working at the CrossFit gym, like when I was yeah. there, and we were just training mainly mainly sort of strength. There are gymnastics elements there, and it's all the conditioning stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'd be surprised if you know ten percent of the members could touch their toes. Like, I think it's a big part of you know uh, traditional sort of weights training is just not really focusing too much on flexibility. It's all about chasing weight um, and not having clear definitions of sort of like flexibility. I think it's like I think strength training we've been doing it for a lot longer and everyone knows what an rdl is everyone knows what a split squat is um but i think a lot of people if you talk to them about pike flexibility not every member of the gym would have known what pike flexibility was or why it was important um yeah. what, what's your experience like through your journey of being a coach and you know in the early days before you did gymnastics to like maybe where you are now that's a that's some pretty low-hanging fruit for your crossfit members there <laughs> <laughs> not being because i remember you, got, you had some pretty high level athletes in there i'm now thinking were the higher level ones able to touch their toes? Um, mm. And is it, you know, was it just like the, the ones that were still, I don't know, only doing CrossFit for the sake of doing CrossFit who weren't really that interested in improving their performance? Because I remember you guys, you had the few people that would come in, they'd be warming up thoroughly before their sessions, you know, doing all the foam rolling, all the extra stretches and the band assisted stuff. And they, they were like the really keen ones, but they were also the, the really good ones. But anyway, um, my experience uh yeah again it was quite, kind of mixed because i i like i started as off as a pt in a, in a pure gym but i um i wasn't exactly training all the gym bros i mean if i was then i'm sure i would have been training people who would be struggling to touch the floor as well uh i had you know i had quite a few just like slightly older but slightly active women as well who could just bend over and touch the floor comfortably and then i did obviously have the half the like maybe it's probably like 50 50 people that can touch their feet just floor on those that just had no no clue of how to fold over um but back then i wasn't really too aware of the benefits of having a you know decent pipe flexibility or i wasn't really aware of how to build that either um i had some ideas i mean all the ideas revolved around the jefferson curl <laughs> but uh we'll, i think we'll get into that a bit later but yeah. um other than that i didn't really know what to do but it wasn't really my forte for me it was you know helping them build chin-ups push-ups and dropping body fat yeah exactly mate yeah on the members of the gym like i mean they were probably better than the general population in terms of their flexibility mm. and they had the flexibility to squat deep to deadlift to do rdls whatever it was that we were doing but you know i think in in maybe in crossfit the biggest time you'd see pike flexibility sort of coming up is in like toaster bar 
Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I think in CrossFit, it's all about efficiency. So it'd be bent knees, toes to bar, and you'd be trying to cycle out reps of that. But if you ever did straight leg toes to bar or tried to do strict toes to bar, you know, I think there'd only be a very small percentage of members in the gym that could accomplish something like that. Um, you know, it is, it is, it is at the extreme end of sort of high flexibility, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to reflect back on that now and sort of think about that um, a lot more now that, you know, you and I both have started to play more with our, with our own flexibility and with the flexibility of our clients. Yeah. Remember, I joined one of your class. It wasn't your class, but it was your gym's class. Um, it was Anthony. Do you remember Big Anthony? Yeah. I joined one of his classes once uh, and they had Toaster Bar in their program for the day. And uh, I'd never done a Bentley Toaster Bar. So like, I was looking around. I was like, what are these guys doing? So I'm like, I'm just doing my normal straight leg reps. And I think I got to like 24, 25 reps because it was like for time. And I just, I just thought I'd just like max out on the first set. And I was going and like, these guys are all coming off after like, I don't know, eight to 10, these bent knee ones. Like, what's going on? But uh, yeah, that was my, one of my first experiences of the efficiency of CrossFit toe to bar and how actually like, yeah, okay. I did more reps in the first set, but then I burnt out pretty quick and they were like, just kept going for rounds and rounds. I was like, no, I can't do another set of 24. <laughs> Not strict, mate. That's never going to yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, that's it. When did you start focusing on pipe flexibility? Like what brought that into your training and, and, and why? Okay. So indirectly it was when I was kickboxing at the age of 13 that's when I first ever remember training the pike or at least trying to stretch forward. Um, now it's quite funny because it's probably, it wasn't, it's probably not as an important stretch as some other stretches while kickboxing. Like it would be good for your front kick, you know, when you like, you bring your leg out in front of you. Um, but things like your roundhouse and stuff like that, when you bring your leg on the side, probably very irrelevant. And we were doing a lot more roundhouse things back then. But it's quite interesting because, again, it kind of shows that the teachers, they don't really know what they're doing with the flexibility. They're like, just try and touch your toes. Oh, you can touch them? Try and get deeper because that's the extent of stretching knowledge uh, in most um, circles of, of fitness. So that was me first ever doing pike work. And I remember I actually, I'm pretty sure I managed to get my head close to my shins doing that. Because uh, uh, I definitely managed to get my feet and my hands like beyond my feet. But I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of going with the class. But then it was, so that's when I was 13 years old. And then add another 10 years on to that. I'm now 23 years old. I've done an Ido Portal uh, workshop and I've done a Crystal Summers workshop, both of them in the same summer of 20, um, was it 2013? 2013. And I was introduced to the Jefferson Curl. I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, Christopher Summers was really big on the Jefferson Co. It's like Jefferson Co. is the holy grail of all fit flexibility and fitness and whatever. And obviously, Ido Portal got a lot of his stretching modalities from Christopher Summers. So he was kind of big on Jefferson Co. as well. So I was like, well, if these guys are doing Jefferson Co.s, maybe I should do some Jefferson Co.s. So then I started doing loads of Jefferson Co.s while being a PT at Pure Gym. And it did actually help. I mean, because I, I already had some okay pike flexibility, the Jefferson Co. will actually assisted me in getting a lot deeper and then i remember one day i was like oh i can touch my head on my shins and, and it was after doing a couple sets of what for me back then were heavy jefferson curls um, and that was my my introduction i guess or my beginnings of exploration into hamstring and pike flexibility yeah, mate. You'll meet you'll meet the same. I think uh, I was introduced yeah. by Jefferson Curl by you know and and by Christopher Summers as well. And yeah, I think at one stage I was doing like 60, 70 kilo Jefferson curls 
with a barbell and yeah, it did help my flexibility, but I also don't think it was the, it was the best way to start the flexibility journey. Um, and I think, yeah, we do get thrown into, and there's a lot of social media content and there's a lot of people talking about the Jefferson curl is the best stretch for, for this, but I'd like to sort of say, what are the prerequisites and should we be jumping straight into that? And I think we'll come back to that, you know, um, a little bit later in the post, but yeah, I think, um, you know, you and I both introduced by the same people into that world of, you know, pike flexibility and forward folding. Um, yeah. Before we talk about the Jefferson curl, I think we should talk a little bit more about maybe what the pike, what, what we're sort of involving in um, pike stretching, what the focus is, what are the areas we're trying to stretch maybe and strengthen, and then maybe how we sort of assess that and how we work on that with our clients. Um, yeah, do you want to start with that maybe in terms of like the areas that we're targeting with the pike flexibility? Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, definitely stay tuned for the Jefferson curl stories because that it was actually that Jefferson curl that day where I touched my head on my shins, I got my repetitive lower back injury. So <laughs> be good to hear about that. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, so where would I start? Like in terms of developing the pike? Uh, yeah, all the assessments. Yeah, well, what are the key areas do you feel? Like when we're talking about yeah. pike, working on the pike, there's obviously posterior chain flexibility. We're talking yeah. length of hamstrings. We're talking lower back. We're talking calves. We're even talking maybe soles of the feet. Like, you know, our posterior chain, you know, there's, was it Thomas Myers who wrote um, the fascia chains, the myofascia chains? Yeah, that's right. And he talked about, you know, from your eyebrows virtually up and over your head, all the way down the neck, the spine, through your glutes, through your hamstrings, through your calves, under your feet, all the way to your toes. Like that's the posterior chain. And when yep. we're talking about lengthening that, let's say even if it's something like the Jefferson curl, it's like, well, which part of that chain is tight? And then we've got the opposite of that, which is obviously the anterior chain. So we're talking now the front of the body, starting again probably from the eyebrows, running down all the way, you know, on the front of the body down to the toes, and yeah. in, in this sense, this is obviously the compression side of things. So um, strengthening anterior chain, like shortening those muscles to pull us into pike and lengthening, you know, that posterior chain um, and having the flexibility. I think that, you know, they it's obviously agonist, antagonist. And if we're tight, then it's going to limit our core compression strength. And if we're weak in that core compression strength, it's going to limit our ability to stretch potentially the posterior chain as well. Um, so when you assess, like, well, where do you start with your clients? You, you mentioned assessment. What would that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, my biggest assessment for pipe flexibility is standing on the floor, fold forward. How are they, I, if they can't touch the floor, then stand on the floor is enough. Stand on the floor, fold forward. How how low can you get your hands? And let me just see from a side profile because I want to see what the body's doing. I want to see where the hips are sitting. Are they above the ankles? Are they behind? Are they in front? I want to see what the knees are doing. Are they slightly bent? Are they straight? Uh, I want to look at the look at the spine, see how it rounds, um, and I just want to see how far they can kind of get, and also what their head what the head is doing as well, and their upper back. So, and then in terms of where I go from there, it will kind of depend on the person. Because again, I, I train like a few different people. Like let's say just just training your general general, I know. Auntie Sharon, she just wants to get a bit stronger, a little bit more flexible, and she just wants to stay healthy. I'm not too focused on on basically making everything super efficient. I don't, I don't. She doesn't need to have like crazy calf flexibility, um, as well as like super like loose, etc. Upper back. Really, for Sharon, I kind of just want her hips to move well, 
And as long as I can get her hips sort of tilt enough so that her hands can get lower to the floor, then I'm kind of happy that's going to improve the majority of her life. But now let's say I'm training Alex. He's a gym owner. He's also big GST type athlete. He wants to be, you know, he wants a, um, a V sit or an, an I sit. Eventually he wants to go for L presses and things like this. Press the handstands. Okay. For Alex, we need to like improve every, everything pretty much for the, um, for that pike flexibility. Cause I'm, I don't just want his hands on the floor. Eventually I want him to have his like head close to his toes, if that makes sense. So we need to basically attack more of the, um, the elements that you do, you, that you would already described for the pike. So it kind of, yeah, it depends what, what they're after, but generally speaking for both athletes, I'll always look at making them stronger through the, um, the anterior chain to help them stretch into that posterior chain. Uh, it's like a combination of both. So let's say for Sharon, she, we can see that her hips aren't tilting forward at all. Like let's, let's say she just kind of gets, imagine somebody standing up straight. If you look and they're trying to fold forward, if you look at the lumbar spine, the lumbar spine just comes out at like 90 degrees from the, the top of the thighs. And then eventually the rest of the spine sort of like hangs over. Okay. That tells me hip flex is probably very weak. Um, they don't really know how to, or they're very just unconditioned in terms of how to pull the torso closer to the legs. So we need to fix that. Uh, generally sometimes just by fixing that, like you don't even attach, um, or you don't even work on the calves. You don't even work on the upper back flexibility or the hamstring flexibility just by getting those hip flexors to help tilt the hip more. That person's already got like an extra six inches on their pike flexibility. Um, so, and it's like, okay, cool. That's enough for Sharon. She can now deadlift. She can now hinge. She can now squat better. She can, um, uh, she can walk better. Uh, she can, yeah, she, she's good to go. If that makes sense for her daily needs and for, for the tasks that we have in her training. Yeah. C curiosity around that, just like the clients you've got that maybe come in and have that, um, symptom in their pike flexibility assessment. So they've got that sort of flak back. How many of those clients do you think have back pain or have mentioned back pain to you? Not, uh, I mean, there have been a couple, yeah. but it's not enough to be like flat back causes back pain. If yeah. that makes sense. It's like the, the, the and from my data pool, like, mm. I don't know, maybe she took a thousand people and then you notice mm. actually it's like 60%, you know, of people with this like flatter back syndrome, whatever you want to call it, you know, when that little lumbar mm. sort of like doesn't fall yes. forward. Maybe yeah. if 60% of them are experiencing back pain, it's like, okay, we can probably get away with saying there's a correlation there. But even if it's 50%, it's like, okay, cool. But um, from my data pool, like it's, it's not enough to be like, okay, that's the reason for your back pain. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got clients that wouldn't have that issue. Like they've got awesome forward fold and they've got back pain, but then also clients that have, you know, not got such great capacity there. Um, with the tilting of the pelvis. And often it's put down to, oh, you've got tight hip flexors um, and they're told to stretch their hip flexors. Oh, I've been stretching my hip flexors. I've been doing the couch stretch and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I really start to wonder if it comes down to more actually you've got, yes, yes, you've got tight hip flexors. Yes, you need to stretch them, but you've also got very weak hip flexors and the body has is using you know, it's protective mechanisms to hold tension in the hip flexors because they're not strong enough. Um, and when we start to strengthen the hip flexors, you know, like what you're talking about now, um, not only does it open up this new level of pike flexibility, but because they get a little bit stronger, um, 
it can actually help to alleviate some of the back pain. I do feel a lot of people, a lot of adults especially, um, experience when they've got so much tightness around their hips. So I was just curious to hear from your perspective or from your data pool, you know, what you've, yeah. what you've got there. Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely a case. Like I, I'm, I'm one of those people that fit into that category with the weaker hip flexors and by strengthening them and also stretching them, it helped with my lower back issues. Um, but I've also had a lot of, people with back issues where that hasn't helped uh even though it looked like they had some hip flexor restrictions like it probably helped their performance overall but it wasn't like the holy grail of fixing their back pain if that makes sense but that i mean don't get this is the thing it's like i, I just haven't had like enough people you'd need like thousands of them or whatever to to be, to be very dogmatic with the approach mm. uh, and say okay this is definitely the issue um, and it's only because it's like quite a sensitive area for people as well. Because there's also some people where you'll give them this extra hip flexor work and they're like, oh, my lower back hurts more. I've, yeah. had, I've had that before because I have had the dogmatic approach and I remember giving people, oh, well, th this hip flexor work helped someone else. I'm going to give it to you as well. They're mm -hmm. like, hey, every time I try and do this like seated compression, my lower back hurts. I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. Uh, I guess I guess it doesn't help everyone. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, yeah. I don't, I, I'm I'm not as informed as I as I think I am, or as I should should describe myself to be. And that's why I don't talk about lower back pain too much online and stuff like this, because there are basically there are people who can do it much better than me. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, mate. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that it's it's the cause of everyone's lower back pain, and yeah. this is the solution to everyone's lower back pain. Obviously, there's a lot of other muscles that make up the support of the hips and the spine. Um, and, you know, maybe this could be one assessment that could give you a sense of um, direction with back pain, but there's obviously a number of other assessments we can do and we can look at to sort of figure out the best the best path forward. Anyway, we, we digress a little bit just out of our curiosity. Yeah. Um, you're talking about maybe where to start, like um obviously you've got you've got sharon and did you say alex whether the two yeah. you've got um would they have a similar journey um in terms of where you'd start with them so let's say you know their their assessment is very similar but their goals are very different where are you going to start with you know these sort of clients yeah okay let's say they're both uh demonstrate similar symptoms in terms of they're both quite inflexible folding forward and the hips don't really move very well then i will usually start with very similar approaches for both of them um but chances are alex will have a little bit more because he trains about 15 to 20 hours a week in total and sharon just wants to train three to four hours a week and so for alex like we can give him the foot like a full pike session whereas sharon she's also doing some strength work and some flexibility work i'm going to give her two exercises probably for the for her actual uh, direct pike flexibility and usually speaking, one of them is going to be an exercise which helps train the um, the hip hinging pattern, like get the hips to start moving. So think of something like a stride stance, good morning. Um, uh, one leg out straight in front of you, one leg slightly back behind that front leg, and it's a, uh, that knee is bent. So the leg that's out straight is the one that's going to be stretching. And then with a straight back, you kind of like hinge forward and you come back up, hinge forward, come back up. It's a really good way to start to teach the pelvis how to fold because when one knee is bent, it just makes it easier for the pelvis to, to fold and for you to isolate the stretch on, on one leg. So you, so she's going to have that exercise probably. Um, and some, some form of like antagonist contraction 
depending on where she's at with that. Like if she can, you know, if she can sit on the floor and she can actually do a little bit of a pike compression, then I might get her to do that. If not, maybe something like a block crush uh, in the pike position. If not, it might just be like a standing leg raise type um, movement as well, or a standing knee raise. Imagine standing on one leg and then lifting one knee up towards your chest. That's like a really nice beginner uh, movement. I've actually got someone on that at the moment. Um, and he was saying like after six weeks, he started to notice he could recruit more of his hip flexors and recruit more of the, the muscles in the hips to help pull that knee higher. And then indirectly, that's helped with things like his squat and his Cossack squat and his pike flexibility. So but that's that's my approach for like Sharon. And then she'll probably, in her leg session, she'll probably have another movement which will indirectly train a little bit of the pike as well. So she's got like the direct pike stuff. And then somewhere in the leg session, maybe she's got some RDLs, like some dumbbell RDLs or something like that. Okay, cool. Again, she's getting some hip hinging. She's getting some loaded hamstring lengthening, et cetera. Um, so that'll help. But like Alex will probably have a full on pike flexibility session because I need him to fix that because we're working on, we're going to be working on L sits, L presses, whatever, press the handstands later on. Uh, so he's going to have like the you know hip rotation work. He's going to have calf flexibility work. He will have hamstring lengthening and as well as hip flexor shortening. Um, and then yeah, depending on where he's at, probably some bits for the, the torso as well to help the torso relax. Uh, yeah, he basically he'll be spending at least an hour a week on his pike, whereas Sharon will be spending like 15 minutes. Yeah, definitely, mate. I agree with that. So there's sort of two really big components that we talk about here. You've got the the anterior chain side and it's building that compression and you've got that posterior chain side and it's obviously the lengthening of that. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe some of these progressions, like where you'd go in terms of like, you introduced me to one one that you know I hadn't really thought about a while ago, and it was more, more supine leg lifts because a lot of times with my clients, I was starting with a lot of standing sort of leg lifts. Um, you know, their standing bent knee would be the first progression I would use for a lot of clients, and then it would be standing bent knee to leg extension, um, and then standing straight leg lifts. They're all standing variations, but there's also you know this lying leg lift, and there's also the hanging leg lift. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe the the line of gravity and how it affects those and how might, how you might order those now in the journey that you use with your clients. Yeah. So it's really interesting. There's a couple of stories behind this. So Emma was, Emma is my online coach, Emma Louie. Um, they also known as splits wizard online. He was the first person to ever introduce me to supine leg lifts. Uh, and also this concept of using gravity to help either assist resist or be neutral in your stretches so if you let's use those three examples that you mentioned let's say a standing leg lift you're standing on one leg you're lifting the other leg you're now resisting gravity with the leg that's trying to lift so the the leg lifting up into the air is is being resisted by gravity because gravity is obviously trying to push it down um uh, but let's say you're standing and you're folding forward trying to touch the floor gravity is now assisting you so gravity is helping you get lower down to the floor so they're the two extremes and then you have the one in the middle let's say you're sitting on the floor and you're reaching forward trying to touch your toes now you're kind of neutral to gravity because you're reaching perpendicular to the gravity vector which is pushing down towards the floor so um if you're doing something like a supine leg lift if you're lying on your back and you're lifting your leg up 
Okay, your, your gravity is resistant at the very beginning, but that's not really the place that you struggle because you can lift your leg up quite comfortably beyond that. Once you get to about 90 degrees, you're now gravity neutral again. So actually the supine leg lift is a really nice neutral or gravity neutral um, single leg hip flexor activation. And it, this was in my first program with Emmett and I didn't really think much of it back then. I was like, why is he giving me this? It's very easy. I'm just lifting my leg and trying to pull it towards me. And this is probably where I didn't really take my coaching for granted, uh, where I took my coaching for granted <laughs> a, bit, a bit more than I should have. Because then it was only, it was like five years later, when actually I, I looked into it within the Pilates realm because Sarah, my girlfriend, she's a very good Pilates instructor. And, and she gave me the story. Like I explained to her the gravity vectors and she was like, oh, Joseph Pilates has been doing this for, for like decades. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah. So what he does is he first, so Joseph Pilates was like the founder of Pilates. He's like, first he has people like lying on their side, like on the mats. And because if you're lying on your side and you're doing a lot of your hip flexor work, a lot of that is gravity um, neutral or assisted. Uh, and then like, I think she says, then you progress to like, was it standing to make us? Yeah. So it's gravity neutral first and gravity assisted next. And then it was like uh, gravity resisted last. So, and then it's like, and then eventually you'll have people doing it um, seated uh, and you're doing it against gravity. Uh, I could, I might've buzzed that up a little bit. I might be a bit wrong, but basically Joseph Pilates had a very like progressive structure for mm. getting people to work their hips and some of their hip flexors. I was like, Oh, so Pilates, is actually kind of smart. And she's like, yeah, of course it is. It's like, <laughs> well, it's, that went down well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Pilates is actually a really well thought out rehab system. And then from that, like eventually they then go onto machines where now they're doing it resisted against certain me mechanics, right? And it's like, oh, it's actually very similar to doing like weight training, but it's very specific to rehab. Anyway, yeah, that was a whole different thing. So then I realized actually this whole, this whole gravity system is a, uh, it's actually been used in quite a few places. It's not just like something that Emma introduced to me. It's, it's, it's been evolved. Uh, well, it's been in, used in Pilates and maybe it was used before that as well. Maybe Joseph got the idea from somewhere else. But um, the concept is you kind of use gravity to either assist you in a stretch or to make a stretch harder. When you're making it harder, it doesn't really feel like a stretch. It feels like more of a contraction, like you're doing a strength, some strength work. Yeah. Um, or you can use it to be neutral uh, where your your when the, the benefit of it being neutral is you're using your hip flexors uh let's say in the pike position so you're seated in a pike position and you're trying to reach your toes the only way you're going to touch your toes is if your hip flexors know how to pull you forward so the neutral one helps close the gap between the assisted and resisted if that makes mm. sense yeah yeah, fair enough. So where would you put supine leg lifts? Would that be like an okay. introductory first or was that something that you would train after standing leg lifts or after? Yeah, I would I would have it at the as an introduction mm. um, at the beginning because it can basically help you use the hip flexors without as much resistance, mm. if that makes sense. Whereas like let's say the standing one, if you're standing and you're trying to lift one leg, it can yep. be pretty tough. Um, but if somebody is a bit less able or maybe they're in a bit more pain or maybe they're just a, a lot less coordinated, cool. Start on your back, lay on your back, supine position, one leg up bent about 90, uh, when I say up, sorry, one foot close to your bum. So your knees at about 90 degree bend or maybe a little bit mm. less. Um, and then the other leg is out straight and you're lifting it up towards the ceiling or towards the sky. 
yeah. it just starts teaching you how to use that the hip flexors for that movement and then you can you can add resistance onto that using bands if you want uh i kind of i, I kind of like it as a way to just really basically isolate the hip flexors but without getting the same type of cramping as you would in let's say for example a seated pike compression mm. um it's, it doesn't the cramping isn't the same it's like you're fighting it's like you're fighting a losing battle but something is still happening so you're trying to lift the leg it's not really going beyond 90 degrees you can't figure out why it's like is it because i'm tight it's like no it's not because my hamstrings are in the way something's just not working but you just fight for it anyway and like these light bulbs start to switch on yeah it's a different sensation isn't it yeah yeah 100%. yeah definitely different sensation yeah um, i like that yeah um, let's take that same same approach now. So we've been talking about anterior chain and shortening the anterior chain and, you know, the vector of gravity. Now, if we switch it over and we talk about stretching the posterior chain and, and using the vector of gravity, um, do you want to run through some examples of uh, neutral, resisted and assisted? Yeah. So if you're, I mean, generally, if, you, if you're doing like resisted stretching, it usually just comes into the antagonist work, so the anterior chain. Uh, it's like that, as in that's the main focus. Like it's quite hard to actually stretch through the posterior chain gravity resisted because it's the antagonist muscles, the agonist muscles, which will fail you first before the stretch does, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's more like a hanging leg raise, for example, let's say. That's your yeah, example. Let's so say like, so like hanging leg raise, you're hanging, you're trying to bring your legs up it's quite resisted especially at that 90 degree position yeah technically like once you're at the top it's not really resisted in the gravity the same way anymore what's now failing you is like your ability to keep the core compression mm -hmm. or like the the strength whether it's in the lats or the the abdominals and the hip flexors etc um and like gravity doesn't really basically it's not a stretch like it's it can be used to help facilitate stretches. Like I use hanging leg raises as an, let's say as like a, a C1 exercise. And then the C2 exercise will be like an RDL. It's yep. the hanging leg raise will help you get deeper in your RDL because you're, you're firing up those hip flexors. But the, but the hanging leg raise itself isn't really what we would class as like a nice stretch. Even if you could like keep your legs up at the bar and you could like um, compress them back, like, you know, I, could, I can hold like a 30 second toes to bar mm. hanging leg raise but it's not the, the stretch that kind of limits me. Anyway, um, the Jefferson curl is a really nice example of just a like nice and um, gravity assisted, also weight assisted, uh, pike flexibility stretch. You know, you holding the weight, you're kind of hang you're going down bar to, um, towards your toes. Hopefully the bar's going lower, if lower than your toes, or the weight's going lower than your toes. That's a really nice gravity assisted stretch. And then, like the gravity neutral one, uh, one of my favorite ones for that. So you've got, oh, do you remember doing the seated pike slide outs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that one's a really nice one. It's just basically, let's say you start, you're sitting on the floor and you both of your feet are close or both your heels are close to your bum. You're now, like, uh, you've got your hands around your shins or like you, you're like hugging your shins. And then you sort of, you start to like push your feet or push your heels, slide them out rather. So you want to be on a slidey surface. You slide them out away from the torso so that you can get into like a long lengthened hamstring position. And then you contract the hamstrings. So you 
squeeze the heels back in towards your bum to come back up. So you slide out, you come back up, slide out, come back up. That's a really nice progression for like a gravity neutral uh, mm. pike flexibility stretch. Yeah, 100%, mate. I think like you said before with like the hanging leg raises, like they're an expression of flexibility maybe. Like yeah. you do need that core strength and you need to have good posterior chain flexibility to get, you know, that strict toes to bar. Um, but they're not a massive stretch themselves. It's a way you can express the flexibility. Whereas when we're talking Jefferson curl or a standing forward fold, yeah, gravity is assisting you, pulling you down in there. It's a great way for, I think, beginners or new people to experience the stretch and use gravity to assist it. Um, and then a harder variation is, you know, that neutral position, like you say, it could be pike slide outs, or it could even just be seated straight leg straight and trying to do the forward fold or the pike stretch on the floor. Um, it's a little bit harder than the standing variation because you don't have gravity assisting you, pulling you deeper into that stretch. It's more down to, you know, your flexibility, your core strength. Um, and I think that's a common mistake a lot of people make. A lot of people, when they want to start training pike flexibility, spend a lot of time on the floor going into their stretches and trying to stretch or trying to do seated leg lifts, maybe when they're not ready for it yet, when they should be doing more of the standing variations or potentially, you know, some of the supine leg lifts that you talked about or some of the standing leg lifts that they talk about. Is that something that you've seen a lot with, you know, different people in the gym who are trying to work on their pike flexibility? Or do you think most people are aware of the benefits of using the standing positions or the supine, supine, supine positions? <laughs> I don't think many people know what the benefit of anything is, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I, like, even looking online, I'm like, I'm looking at other movement coaches and I saw something the other day and this guy's like trying to promote Jefferson Curl for absolute beginners. And it's like, this is, it's just, it's just not the case. Like, this isn't how you would approach beginners at all for pike flexibility. Um, and yeah. And then you've obviously got people in the gym who are trying to stretch. I don't think most of them know what they're doing either, but they will just kind of do it because it's, it feels good and you know they want they want to stretch they want to try and touch their toes so they will i mean go for it don't get me wrong i'm not saying they shouldn't be but i don't think they're doing it with like oh this is better than this or this is better than that i think it's more like i'm just going to do this because it feels good and this is what i know as opposed to trying to compare supine to hanging to stand into this if that makes sense it's, yeah. it's more like it's more people it's, it's more so people like me and you who are doing the comparisons because we're trying to work out all right what's going to be best to give to our clients and mm. um, whereas the clients without any tuition won't be making those comparisons they kind of just especially like stretching they might be trying to make it between like a sumo deadlift and a deadlift so they'll go online and they'll, they'll google that and youtube that but it's very unlike i haven't met clients who will look online oh which type of hamstring yeah. stretch should i yeah. do yeah. Uh, I think the knowledge is a lot harder to come by. Like we've been doing squats and deadlifts and chin-ups and press, you know, PTs have been teaching that stuff for years. It's more common knowledge. And I think even yeah. the general pop these days, it's more common knowledge. But when we start to tap into flexibility, like it's not common knowledge. It's growing and it's getting better. Um, but it's not as easy to find information on that. And it's really hard to sift all sift through all the bullshit that's out there let's be honest there's a lot of it out there and you yeah. and i have both had to sift through through that with uh you know being taught the jefferson curl is the way forward um i want to get to the jefferson curl and let's get there soon but one one thing before we get there and i, I like the way that when we first started this conversation we talked about you know what would you do for the client who's going to start this journey you spoke about single leg stuff. You spoke about the split stance RDL and you spoke about the single leg raises and stuff like that. Do you want to touch on why the single leg stuff is good and also maybe why is it a common thing to see an imbalance? Right. My main reason for using single leg work for pike flexibility 
is because it's much easier to uh, hinge at the hips when one knee is bent. So if you, if you just bend one knee and keep the other leg straight, you're going to have a much easier time getting those hips to hinge forward while you're still feeling a stretch um, in a straight leg position, which is the ultimate goal. Um, and yeah, without having to bend both knees, because you've also got two bent knee variations where if you just bend both knees, you can also hinge forward and it's, it's really easy to, to start to bend, uh, to, to teach the hinge and teach the, and let's say the anterior pelvic tilt. Um, so I also like the two bent knee variation, but for a case of like saving time, bend one knee, keep one leg straight. And then you're doing two things, you're stretching the hamstring and you're teaching how to uh, tilt at the hips and then you swap sides obviously um i do that and then yeah okay you've got the the sake of imbalances as well generally speaking you have a new client you don't fully know their training history even if they tell you it even if they tell you their injuries you still have to just assume there might be some kind of imbalances which you can kind of just get rid of in six to 12 weeks of training mm. using single leg or sort of unilateral movements or at least but when i say get rid of I mean, there's always going to be underlying things. Uh, I think imbalances should be another podcast, by the way, because I get, <laughs> I get so much on imbalances. There's there's always like some underlying things which you're just not going to fix completely. You're not going to get 100% um, symmetry. But then based on how you've lived your life the past 6 to 12 months, there will be some surface layer, easy to fix imbalances, uh, which you can probably in, increase the decrease the gap between on, on the left and right side. So that's why unilateral movements can be kind of useful. It's more so for those things as opposed to like, you know, the ingrained imbalance that you're just never ever going to get rid of. Like my my right hip flexor or my right hip extension is nowhere near as good as my left. Um, it doesn't matter how much I work on those hip extension movements. Like it's never going to become a hundred percent difference. And I've been doing it for like five years now and it's still behind. Like they've both made progress over five years, but the right is still far behind the left. <laughs> That's it, mate. I think it's wise. It's it's a thing to understand that the body is asymmetrical. It's never going to be perfectly symmetrical and you can worry yeah. about it and stress about it and, and, and try to fix it. But I think as long as you're trying to get them closer together, the close, closer we can get them, the better, but I don't think we're ever going to be symmetrical and that shouldn't really be the goal. But I think it's a wise thing to always sort of start with the single leg stuff. Um, and we can uncover that, you know, um, the difference or, and we can start to work towards getting it a little bit more balanced. Um, and then, you know, maybe when we move forward to, you know, Jefferson curls or RDLs or other movements, it helps to have, you know, both sides close to each other or not such a big discrepancy between the two. Um, mate, there's so many things we could talk about. The bent knee stuff I really like as well. Like you're talking about the two bent knee thing. Um, and yeah. for me, like I've got really tight hips, um, tight adductors, and that anterior pelvic tilt in my pike and pancake flexibility is the big thing that I found I've had to work on. Um, and like you said before, when the knees are bent, we take tension out of the hamstrings and we take tension out of the adductors. So this allows us to move the pelvis into more anterior pelvic tilt. And then we can start to try and straighten the legs um, and that's gonna give us a really good stretch, but we can lock the pelvis in that anterior pelvic tilt position and start to stretch the areas of tightness that are maybe restricting the anterior pelvic tilt. Whereas if we go from locked knee 
into like a forward fold, then we're very limited in anterior pelvic tilt. We're still going to feel a stretch in the hamstring, but the sensation is very different and it's not really going to help us improve the anterior pelvic tilt as much as working on the bent knee progressions. Would you agree? Yeah. Like I think you, you noticed uh, the bent knee stretching worked really well for you, didn't it? In terms of mm. getting your hips to move and kind of like start to compress a little bit more and anterior tilt a bit more. Uh, all the bent knee stretches helped a lot. Whereas we're kind of told at the beginning, oh, you should keep your legs straight for stretching your hamstrings. And it's like, yeah, technically, you know, the straighter they are, the more you will stretch them. But if the hip's not shifting and if the, if the hip doesn't tilt, then it's really actually really hard to, to stretch through the hamstrings. You'll be kind of just, you know, people try and say you stretching the nerves, etc. You could even just be like stretching the spine. Um, there's actually one there problems with the Jefferson curve, but yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, but yeah, I think the, I, I really like the Bentley, Bentley hamstring variations and Bentley hamstring stretches. I use them loads now, especially with beginners. Like I've, mm. I've just been creating a, like a foundation module for like flexibility training. Uh, and for the pike, a lot of it is with Bentley variations because that's just what the beginners need. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you, mate. And yeah, personally, I just found they were they were the best for me. And maybe that's just because I've got such tight hips. They might not be the best for everyone, but I think they're a great place to start. And um, it sort of really helps. The sensation is that touching of the belly to the thighs, and sort of understanding that core compression in you know hamstring stretching. Um, and when you start to realize that and get a sensation of that, I think it helps you contract you know those hip flexors a little bit more, and it helps you sort of work towards that deeper you know, sort of pike stretch or deeper anterior pelvic tilt. So if you haven't tried bent knee um, pike stretches or bent knee pancake stretches, I def definitely recommend that you start uh, experimenting with that. All right, let's dive in, mate. I know you've been scratching your palms and hanging to talk about the Jefferson curl. What do you mean I shouldn't do Jefferson curls? Everyone tells Everyone me that they're the best. I know, right? What do you mean? So <laughs> Jefferson curls, they, yeah. You know, I hardly describe them anymore. Like I just don't. I not. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Um, in context, uh, but I just I haven't found a lot of need for like giving them to everyone. Whereas back in like ask me five years ago, and everyone that I trained would be doing Jefferson curls. Even people that didn't want to get more flexible, like, yeah, do Jefferson curls. It's going to help your lower back problems that you don't actually have. But if you ever had them, this will be that you'll see. Because that's what everyone was kind of saying. Uh, so my first. The first time I ever like messed up my lower back was after doing Jefferson curls. And then I was like, oh, I actually, I'm actually quite flexible. It was the first time I could get my head in between my shins. Um, and then I, I waited like 20 minutes or so. It's not the Jefferson curl wasn't the problem, don't get me wrong, but just as a an idea of what kind of happened to give you context that day. So I'd got my head in between my shins after doing some sets of Jefferson curls. And then half an hour later, I tried to show one of my uh, PT colleagues in the gym. I was like, hey, look, look at my new pike flexibility. Look at my new flexibility levels. And I bent down to put my head in between my shins again. It was a little bit tighter because it had been half an hour. I hadn't just I hadn't just finished my training. Like, oh, just finished my sets. Um, I couldn't get them. I couldn't get my head there. I was like, wait a sec. So I, so I grabbed my heels and I like pulled myself deeper. And I, I got my head there. But at the same time, I had this like twinge or like, pop or something in my lower back i don't know what it was but that was like the first time i ever got 
what turned out to be my repetitive lower back injury, which would come like every six to eight to 10 months or so. Uh, and I, it just like puts me out and I need to like lay down um, for a good few days and kind of just do some other movements uh, while it recovers. But anyway, it wasn't the Jefferson curl that was the problem, uh, but the Jefferson curl was overemphasizing in general, my hamstring stretching. Uh, and I had no strength in the position. Like I had no strength in my hip. Like, like I couldn't stand and lift one leg up to 90 degrees or even close, but I could get my head to touch in between my shins. Um, I also had very poor hip flexor flexibility, which I didn't realize at the time or hip extension. So it was just, I just had basically a really big imbalance. Like my, my hamstrings were super flexible, but, uh, I wasn't strong in the hip flexors. I wasn't flexible in the hip flexors. And to be honest, my hamstrings probably weren't very strong either. Um, it wasn't a heavy JJ Jefferson curl. It was like 30, 35, 30 kilos, whatever. Uh, but it's not like I had like a massive deadlift or, you know, a strong RDL or strong hamstring curls or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, so that was my, one of my first experiences or in my, within my first year of playing with the Jefferson curl, I just kept over Jefferson curling. It was like just doing too much of it and not doing the other things that were necessary. And, and this is what I think happens in the industry at the moment. You got a lot of coaches that sort of over prescribe the Jefferson curl because they see it as a, a, a spinal articulation movement, which it is. And it's really nice to be able to move your spine and articulate it. And they see it as this like loaded stretch which it also is a loaded stretch. So they're like, oh, so because it's loaded, you're going to get stronger and you're going to get flexible. And it's like, great, okay, you will. But so will like a squat will do the same thing. An RDL will do the same thing in different ranges. But like, you know, these are these are also things that get you strong and flexible at the end of your range. So why are you so hyped on the Jefferson curl if you're not also going to do the same on the opposite movement? You know, um, and that's my, my big issue with it. And then you've got... Um, giving it to beginners who can't move the hips. So if like, imagine somebody's hips, like we were saying about Sharon. So you give Sharon a Jefferson curl, what's gonna happen? Her lumbar spine doesn't like crease at the hips. So now now her lumbar, like I don't know from how many vertebrae, maybe like the first seven to eight vertebrae are like almost uh, perpendicular to the floor. And then the remaining vertebrae, vertebrae start to stretch. So what's she actually stretching? Like where's Sharon putting the load? It's on that section of the spine that's now it's not moving it's not coming towards the floor so you give sharon enough jefferson curls and something's gonna snap like it's only a matter of time uh yeah that's my issue awesome. with jefferson curls yeah nice one mate <laughs> i'm sorry to hear about that reoccurring back pain and um i was the same i think i prescribed it too soon to a lot of people and i was lucky touch wood that no one got injured from it but i think you know it was coach summer who you know i think he was even on the tim ferris podcast and he was talking about jefferson curls being one of the best movements that everybody should be doing and in his top five and blah 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 by the way coach summers didn't even write his flexibility program that actually came from kit lachlan so um <laughs> that, that goes to show that maybe coach summers doesn't know enough about flexibility himself when he has to reach out and get someone else to write that program for him but the prerequisites for the jefferson curl is, is often overlooked it's just like we, we start doing the jefferson curl beginners do jefferson curl but as you correctly said where's the movement coming from if the client can't 
tilt the pelvis, if they've got no anterior pelvic tilt there, then all of the movement's coming from the spine. And we think about the vertebrae stacked on each other. And like you say, there's this point where all the force is going into the spine in that deep flex position. And then we're going to load that? Like, really? Um, so these days, my prerequisite for the Jefferson curl is to be able to do like an RDL with a flat back and be at 90 degrees parallel to the floor. So torso is parallel to the floor with a flat back. Now that locks the spine in, in a flat position. And where's that movement coming from? Well, all of that movement comes from the tilt of the pelvis. So if a client can express that 90 degrees of anterior pelvic tilt to torso being 90 degrees to the floor, then, then they're ready to start training the Jefferson curl because we know that they can get that tilt and then we can start to flex the spine and the majority of the force is not going to be in the spine and the vertebrae, it's going to be in the hips and in the hamstrings. Um, and also if we're training the RDL to get to that point, we've put a lot of strength hopefully into the hamstrings. So we've loaded that, we've progressed that, we've got them to a good position when they're not only lengthening and strengthening the hamstrings, but they're working that pelvic tilt. So the Jefferson curl, is not, I would say it's not for beginners. Uh, and I would say that the prerequisite is being able to get that you know, 90 degrees in the RDL. And, you know, you're going to start that with like what you said, the split stance RDLs or split stance good mornings um, and working that parallel to the floor, even maybe before we start doing the bilateral sort of stuff. But is that something that you would agree with, man? Or what are your thoughts around that as a prerequisite? Yeah. I mean, um, I use the exact same prerequisite just in a straight stance good morning. So it's like, I want you to be at 90 degrees flat back, uh, basically torso perpendicular to floor because it, it demonstrates some good um, uh, movement in the pelvis and the ability to compress there and pull yourself a little bit with the hip flexors. And once you can do that, and you've also can load like a little bit of an actual RDR or a stress dance good morning, then yeah, we can start playing with Jefferson curls and you know, start light and build it up. Basically for me, it's like as long as the spine and the hips are moving well enough to kind of actually have keep the load in the hamstrings and not in that like solely in the lower spine mm. then then we're good to go yeah time and a, time and a place yeah. <laughs> that's it mate all right a yeah. little bit more a little bit more to cover we've yeah, talked exactly. about we've talked about loaded stretches like the jefferson curl is a good example of a loaded stretch and we're, we're trying to use weight to help facilitate that stretch pull us deeper into that range of motion but i'm curious to know like what are some other methods that you like to use when progressing clients towards um you know the pike flexibility um so pnf is actually a really really old but a really good method as well let's so the pnf method is actually one that most new coaches will know of or have heard of you know if, somebody who's like kind of interested in flexibility who's in the fitness world, they've probably heard of the PNF stretch. And the typical one is when you're lying on your back, uh, somebody's up there holding your leg for your, your straight leg and they're trying to like push your leg towards your torso and then you're resisting them. So you're like, you're trying to push your leg away from you into them and then you relax and then it, you're, you find out, oh, look, my leg can come closer. I remember doing it with my uni friends, uh, like, what was it like, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. And they're like, oh, I, I can stretch my hamstring. I'm like, yeah, it's this really cool trick I just found out on the internet or whatever it was. Um, it was quite cool. But uh, so yeah, PNF is like a really nice one. And it, do, it does actually work to help sort of like relax that uh, stretch reflex. 
um if you don't have a partner you can kind of set it up with one of the yoga straps you know i think i think it's actually commonly used in yoga i don't actually know much about yoga but i'm assuming that's what they do with the yoga strap when they have it around the ankle uh, and they're doing like their own self-assisted pnf for the for the hamstrings um what are your time I mean, frames for that are you using 10 or 15 second contract or relax windows I like to use 10 second contract windows, uh, followed by five to 10 seconds of just like breathing in between and then going again for another 10 seconds. Yep. Yeah. If, if the person's quite new, sometimes I'll lower it down to like five to seven seconds of a contraction window. Um, because sometimes the 10 can just be a bit exhausting for them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, PNF Swan, we said the weighted stretching and then the one that i use the most is the the reciprocal inhibition so it's it's basically two exercises back to back or you, you can do it within the same exercise sometimes as well so a good example would be um let's say in like a pike a pike compression followed by a seated pike stretch so you're sitting on the floor you've got both legs out in front of you <clears throat> What you do is you try and uh, you've got the hands on either side of your knees and you're trying to lift your feet off the floor and make your legs towards your torso. So now what we're doing is we're like massively recruiting our abdominal and chain, our anterior chain and the hip flexors. Uh, and we should be like recruiting the whole way through the legs to try and sh basically actively shorten the range. Uh, again, I'll go for like contractions for about 10 seconds or so, or you can do like pulses, like pike compression pulses are very popular in the, old, the GST and gymnastics world. Um, but let's say you're doing the 10 second contraction. So you lift up, try and hold for 10 seconds, relax, lift up, try and hold for 10 seconds, relax there three times. And then you just try and fold forward. And you should in theory be able to fold further forward than before you started the pike compressions. This is what we call reciprocal inhibition. What you're doing is you're engaging the agonist muscles, so the shortening muscles, um, to help reduce the stretch reflex on the antagonist muscles, so the lengthening muscles. Um, I think there's a bit more like quirky stuff to it as well in regards to the uh, the neurological side, but that's that's the gist of it. It kind of helps facilitate the stretch and get you deeper. Yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah, it's one that in the beginning when I first started, um, when I learned that off you and when I started started doing that, it was like it didn't make sense to me. It was like, hang on, I'm, I'm contracting the anterior side before I stretch the posterior side. Wouldn't it make more sense to stretch the posterior side because then I'll be able to pull deeper into the anterior contraction? That was what was going through my mind. But then when I read more about the reciprocal inhibitation, and it's the idea that you know when a muscle is contracting, the body is naturally relaxing the opposite muscle. So by working on the contraction or the shortening side, first it's actually going to help improve the stretch or the second exercise in this example that Eddie gave it's that that's it's that forward fold so often in the program i'll be like these are around the wrong way but then it's like well actually <laughs> they're not necessarily around the wrong way you just got to understand uh, you know how they how they sort of work you know charles pollock was always a big fan of flexion before extension so we'd always talk about doing your, your chin up before you did your bench press or your hamstring curl before your leg extension so if you come from that angle you're sort of thinking okay contract action on the shortening side and then lengthening on the other side so that was maybe what was in my mind from coming from you know that sort of strength um side of things but yeah, yeah. they're all good methods I, I like the targeting one too i think that's also a really good method you know so 
if we were to use, let's say, a standing forward fold target, um, you know, maybe if you're really tight, you're just trying to, you've got an elevated surface you're standing next to and you're trying to touch your fingertips to the elevated surface. As flexibility improves, you might better, you know, touch your knuckles, your fist to the elevated surface, then it might be flat hands to the elevated surface. Um, then you're going to go, okay, remove the elevated surface, we go to the floor, can I touch the floor, fingertips, knuckles, flat hands. Um, another example of this might be, in the seated forward fold, okay, if I can reach past my toes, then I might put a block past my toes, a yoga block that's out in front of me, and I'm folding forward and I'm trying to push the yoga block further away from me. So it's giving me this reference or this idea of a target to touch. And it's surprising how much difference it can make. If you don't have a target there and you're just forward folding and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going as far as I can, this is awesome. But then if you put a target there and you're going forward and you keep trying to touch the target, it actually makes a big difference. Like you actually can go further when you've got this reference point that you know that you're aiming for. Um, so yeah, targeting um, is another great method that I like to use. Mate, we've covered a lot. Me, you, showed me the, you showed me the target stretch first. It was actually, you went to Emmett's workshop before I did. I think the year before I did. And then I, I didn't go to that workshop. And then we're in the gym uh, and you were showing me, I can't remember what the target was in. I think it might've been in the pike. And you're like, look, see how much further you can go when you give yourself a target. And I was like, oh, wow. Is it, yeah, I had no idea. Uh, that's quite funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, mate. It's a, it's, a, it's a good one that's been with me for a few years. And uh, yeah, I, I hope it's working. I hope it's getting, it's getting <laughs> deeper. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun one to use and it does surprise you. You know, you try a pike stretch and go as far as you can without a target and then put the target there and do it again. And I bet you, you'll go further. So yeah. <laughs> 100%. Mate, how long does it take me to get my pike? Because I think that's a common question a lot of people ask. Can you answer that Mate, one for me? You pay the right money and I'll get it for you in six weeks. <laughs> oh, really? Jeff's yeah. and girls? <laughs> yeah. Just like Jeff's and girls twice a day. Yeah, I'll snap you in half. Then we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you if we just like break your spine, then yeah. you've got no restrictions. Perfect. <laughs> oh, mate. Um, uh, how long does it take? It, it So... Pike flexibility is one of those things where it shouldn't take too long for you to touch your toes. Like you should, in theory, like as long as you can kind of teach the person's pelvis how to move, it doesn't, I haven't seen anyone take it like longer than six to nine months before they can actually get their hands to the, the floor like daily. And not just like after a warmed up session, but, but daily. So fingertips to the floor. Um, actual like palms flat. It gets a little bit uh, trickier. It can take some people will take a little bit longer. But generally speaking, like fingertips to the floor, I haven't seen I haven't seen anyone who's taken like longer than six to nine months. I don't think. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. And then to work more extremes, like what are you sort of experiencing with the clients that are working towards more of the advanced uh, gymnastic skills and really <laughs> closing that pike angle? Yeah. Then then we're going for those like eighteen month per, um, time frames to like give the the body and the tissue enough time to kind of adapt and readapt and recreate itself. Um, 18 month time frame up to even up to three years for some people is kind of a more res respectable time frame for those things. But to be honest, I would say like 18 months to get, you know, head to shins is a nice one. And then maybe three years max for like head to toe. You know, mm. if you're, if you're really, pushing for that level of string flexibility. It's one of those things where it's like head to toe, you don't really need it. Um, but the more flexibility you have, 
the less of a problem it's going to be when you're going for your strength movements where the flexibility is required, like your press to handstand, etc. Because I, like unlocking my head to toe actually helped me unlock my press to handstand um, because it just gave me that extra bit of flexibility, which I just didn't have in, in the strength. And then as my strength got stronger, obviously the press handstand in general just got a lot nicer and neater, but yeah. Yeah, 100%, mate. I like what you said there about the adaptation because I think a lot of people overlook that. You know, we are reshaping the body. We are stretching muscle. We are stretching connective tissue. We're, we're growing new muscle. And, you know, flexibility training is a lot like strength training. You know, when we walk into the gym and we start strength training, we don't expect our back squat to go from zero to 200 kilos within 12 months. You know, it's going to be a long, slow process. It takes years to build strength. And I don't think people realize a lot of the times that it takes years to build flexibility. Um, and the body's got to tear down we're causing damage we're damaging muscle tissue we're damaging connective tissue and then it has to regrow it it has to restructure it, it has to rebuild it um, and all of this takes time um, and if you're coming from a pretty poor base like if you've got very low levels of flexibility well you know obviously that's going to be a long longer duration of time that it's going to take and it really does depend on your commitment levels and how often you're training um, you know there are so many different variables that come into both building strength and increasing flexibility. And it's really hard to put your finger on it and say, well, it's going to take you six months and you can touch your toes. Or if you do these three exercises, you'll be able to hold a perfect pike within 30 days. It's really not going to, not going to happen. The social media posts that you read are, are far from the truth a lot of the times. And it's yeah, that, that, that adaptation that you mentioned is a very important thing to take into consideration. Um, Overstretching an injury, that was the only other thing I was sort of going to mention, mate. Have you experienced that yourself or have you, you know, you mentioned it with the Jefferson curl, but, you know, any other sort of stretching and stuff or do your clients experience that? What have you learned? What can you share in that sort yeah, of thing? I've, I've popped a, I think I'm pretty sure it was my Dr. Magnus in Pancake. And first time I got my chest to the floor in a Pancake was also the first day that I, I popped my doctor, basically. Uh, and I then couldn't pancake for six months. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was an interesting one. That, But to give you a bit of context, I was at a stage where I had been doing a lot of good pancake preparatory work and Emma had had me you know, getting my hip flexors a lot stronger and uh, in, in that straddle position and just generally building a decent level of pancake with, my, with the weight on my back. Uh, and it was at the point where like each week I was making very gradual pro progress, maybe like an extra centimeter of depth, extra centimeter and a half. And then this one day, um, I had hit my normal target or in terms of progress of like a centimeter or so, but I also felt my chest hairs touch the floor. So instead of calling it there, I was like, oh, well, I'm very close. I may as well just go for the full thing. So I did an extra set. And I used extra weight and I used extra target. I was actually using weight and target in this as this, both two stimuluses in the same stretch. I wasn't recommended it by Emma that this is on my own doing because I <laughs> wanted to rush for the pancake. Um, so I had, I think I had 10 to 15 kilos on my back and in front of me, I had two ankle weights that I was trying to reach my hand or it was a block. I can't remember. It was one of the two. I've got a video of it. I'll show you later. Um, and I was like, okay, my chest has already touched so this next set, this extra set that isn't in my program. I'm going to get my, my full chest to touch. And it did. Uh, I went for it. I pushed it. I really like strained touchdown. And then like within a couple of seconds of touching the floor, like there was just this pop, like 
that came out my leg and I like instantly got up and I was like, what was that? And I couldn't figure it out for like a couple of days. And then the symptoms of like the pain started to creep in and I couldn't sit in a straddle on the floor without pain. I couldn't even sit on a chair without like pain in my like uh, sit bone, basically. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting. I mean, I wasn't like living day to day in a lot of pain. Don't get me wrong. I was, I was okay. I could still do stuff, but there was like this, there's very, very specific pain I would have when I would sit on a hard chair or sit on the floor or try and sit in a straddle in a pancake. So this is this is mostly the case when it comes to st- injuries with stretching that I've seen. And actually, if you, if you I think Kit Laughlin's put some uh, stuff up on YouTube as well, because Kit Laughlin's got a data pool of like a data pool of thousands of people that he's helped mm. with flexibility. Um, and as far as I'm aware, his main come across for injuries is people who are already a bit experienced. Maybe they're a bit advanced and they're trying to push just a little bit more than they think they, than they know they should on that day. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm very close. I may as well just go for it because apparently waiting another week isn't, is too long. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you've already waited three years to get to this point. You can't wait another week to like close the gap. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. So impatient, mate. So impatient. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Call it ego, call it impatience, call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, we're humans and we kind of, we love the dopamine. And Yeah. yeah. In, in that stretch, in that pancake stretch, when you felt your chest hairs touching the floor, like what sensation are you feeling there? Like what, is there any, any sign to you that, okay, I should stop now or what could you bring? Uh, it's just like, nah. No, this is the problem. It's like, because by that point you're already quite good at handling discomfort you know you're already good at pushing past levels of i don't like this but i'm doing it anyway because it's good for me or i think it's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so so your main sign is if you've already made progress this session don't try and make more like mm. that's it yeah. that, that that was my main takeaway from that and i've tried to explain that to students as well because you know i've had students injure themselves too where they would do the same thing they would go off piste with a program they would do extra sets or they would add extra weight or this or that it's like yeah you live and learn you know it's it's, it's one of those things like i don't think i've met anyone who's developed a very high level in anything without injuring themselves yeah you know it's it's just it's almost part of the the process, like you have to go through that character building, that wisdom collection or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know, but you have to almost go through it to learn not to do it. Even if you have a coach and they're telling you, don't do it, you're going to end up doing it. Whether it might not be in that, it might be in something else because, because your brain will play tricks on you. They're like, oh yeah. So he told me not to push my pancake, but he didn't tell me not to push my bridge. So then you go and do the thing in the bridge, right? Yeah, like it just happens. Yeah, exactly that, mate. Yeah, I've, I've not touched wood yet. Injured myself with with stretching. I have had multiple injuries with strength training and tall muscles before, and that's why yeah. one of my adductors is tied. I did uh, tear an adductor in a split squat once upon a time, but that was just going too heavy too soon. Um, you know, with a weight that I obviously wasn't built up for. Um, there's been times times in stretching where I have felt pain. Like you know, when we started working long lunge stuff, I actually started to feel pain in high hamstring, um, and I just rested out of that. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to push through the pain. 
um, to, you know, force my split right now. I'm just going to take some time off and I've worked on, you know, RDLs and worked on other hamstring exercises to put some more strength and more blood flow into that hamstring. Um, and then it felt a lot better and, you know, I'm probably ready to progress back to the long lunge now um, where I wouldn't feel that pain. So I think just listening to the whispers before you hear the screams is what I like to say. If, if there's pain, the body's trying to tell you something and just be cautious of that. And if you listen to that message and you step back and rehab that area or focus on, you know, doing whatever's going to help you not feel that pain, then in the long run, you know, you're going to be able to get back to and probably progress faster with the stretch or the mobility or the flexibility, whatever you want to call it, you know, that you're, you're going to be training. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's that's my input on injury and, and overstretching sort of stuff. Mate, we've covered a lot. Um, you know, we've gone over the hour here, but is there anything else you want to add in terms of the pike flexibility stuff? Um, not for pike, just one, one more last very touch on that pain yeah. area right at the end because this can also be overlooked. Some days you try and get into a range that you had last week, but it's harder. Uh, don't push it. Like do your normal warm up. Maybe do a little bit extra warm up just to see if things do change. But if they don't, don't push it because that's also an era, a, a time when people get injured. It's for whatever reason your body just doesn't want to go to the same level it was at, at last week. Don't stress. You haven't lost your range. It's just not accessible today maybe next week, but don't force it because that's, that's a very common area of injury too. Yeah. hundred um, percent, mate. Yeah. I like that. Good, good advice. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> in regards to anything else regarding the pike. Yeah. Yeah. You know, chase, look for the sensations, like look for finding new sensations with the bent knee stretches. Like we spoke about with you know, pulling your knees closer to your chest with like the contact between your torso and your, your upper thigh. Um, and then, try and stretch from there and that's generally the best the, like the the one of the one of the best ways to like keep um ad addicted to the pike flexibility is generally it's usually the sensations that we get addicted to it's like oh that feels good oh that feels new i want to find that again the more yeah. like sensations you can find like the, the easier it is to stick with your flexibility journey yeah, 100%, mate. It's one of those enjoyable things when you start to move into a new range and you start to feel it in different areas or you start to unlock something and then you're just like, well, that feels really good or it makes a big difference. So, yeah, I agree with that. The sensation is important. Um, tracking progress, I think flexibility is a hard one with progress, but, you know, doing videos, taking photos, um, assessing that, revisiting that um, is always a good way to keep motivated with, you know, your, your flexibility because it is a slow journey and it takes, does take a lot of time. Mate, if people have got questions about pike flexibility or any other gymnastic stuff, where is the best spot they can find you find me on instagram i answer all my messages unless they're creepy um at learning to human l-e-a-r-n-i-n-g-t-o-h-u-m-a-n learning to human You'll there you go there. nice one mate yeah. i'm at stretch.rainer uh, on instagram that's me on threads now too mate have you signed up to threads yet <laughs> I, oh, I think Chris is the same discussion. I signed up, I looked at it, and I was like, what is this? I don't want it. And uh, <laughs> Another one. Yeah, <laughs> another one. Yeah, exactly that, mate, exactly that. Yeah, feel free to reach out to us. If you've got any topics that you'd like us to talk about on the GST Junkies podcast, you know, drop Ernie a message or drop myself a message. We're open to ideas and would be more than happy to, you know, answer your questions and have conversations about those. Um, yeah, so feel free to feel free to throw them over. But yeah, thanks for listening. I hope you got something out of this podcast and Ernie, enjoy the rest of your time in London or I'll see you next month where you'll still be in London and hopefully you make it back to us, mate. Yeah, hopefully. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, mate. mate. You take care. All right. Bye. Stop.